Hello, my name is Christine Murray, Editor-in-Chief of The Developer, and welcome to The Developer Podcast, where we talk about how to design and develop cities worth living in, which often has to do with the spaces between the buildings, as much as the buildings themselves. The Barclay Group has committed to increasing the biodiversity on its development sites. Louise Clark, Head of Sustainable Places for the Barclay Group, told the audience at the Developers' Risk and Resilience Conference why incorporating nature into real estate just makes sense. Hi everyone, um, I'm going to explain to you a little bit about um, what the Barclay Group has been doing around um, biodiversity net gain and give to you one case study which is um, biodiversity net gain and then a couple of other case studies to demonstrate uh, how we can put nature into our developments and what we have been doing. My role at the Barclay Group is um, to help to set our strategy around um, the places and the homes. Um, so I try to um, influence the business on kind of thinking about sustainability and how what they should be thinking around in the places and the homes that we're developing. So I've been working on the biodiversity commitment. So just a bit about the Barclay Group. Um, the Barclay Group, we're, we're a developer mainly based in London and the southeast, and we also have um, uh, a division in, in um, Birmingham. We do your traditional housing schemes, and then we, we do um, restorations of old buildings, and then we do large-scale um, developments. So quite a range of different developments that we do, but for the Barclay Group, it's all about people and ensuring that we're designing and delivering places that are there for people. Um, and so that's why we take a holistic design approach and ensure that it's really about placemaking and placekeeping. So our vision. So our vision is our um, strategy and our framework for the business. And the reason that I'm talking to you about this is because this is how we got net biodiversity gain into our business and how we got our approach. So we set our vision um, every two years and we set long-term, it's our long-term business strategy. And every two years, we set new commitments to try to um, generate continual improvement um, around the business. It's not just a sustainability strategy, it's an integrated business strategy. So it has different topics, um, but about half of them are specifically on sustainability. And it's been in place since um, 2010. And really our vision is to, is, uh, for the business is to create a world-class business defined by the quality of places we create, generating long-term value and having a positive impact on society. And really that positive impact on society is something that is new into our vision and something that we are, are definitely trying to work on. And it's not something that we've, we're definitely successful at, but it's, it's kind of where we want to go. And that's what we're trying to lead with through our vision. So through our vision in 2016, we set a commitment um, that we wanted to ensure that all of our developments had a net biodiversity gain. And so we decided that um, when we set this approach that we needed a year to really understand what that meant, um, speak to some industry experts and help develop our approach. Um, so during that year, we, we, we did that. And then we said from 2017, we launched our internal toolkit um, and our, our, our approach so that ever since 2017 in May, all of our developments that have gone into planning that are new sites have had to create a net biodiversity gain. So why did we do this? Really, there's 
this tension between um, the need to deliver um, on the kind of government's targets on homes and the fact that we're losing um, biodiversity, um, as Alistair said, and as we all know, that we really need to halt biodiversity loss by 2020. We originally had a target to halt biodiversity biodiversity lost by 2010 and we missed it. Doesn't look like we're going to hit the 2020 target either. So we really need to start thinking differently. And that's what we were trying to do at the Barclay Group. I'm really trying to think, okay, if we, we go, we need to deliver all these homes, but we need to make sure that there's a greater environmental, there's less of an environmental impact. And how can development really be an enabler for ensuring that we um, recover our environment and ensure that we put more nature in, back into our environment than was, than was there before. So that's what our, our strategy really is. Um, so we now tag it as new developments can create places with more nature afterwards than before. It just is a little bit more um, user-friendly than net biodiversity gain. If I talk to the business about net biodiversity gain, um, it's a bit harder to communicate. So that's what we're really trying to do now is more nature afterwards than before. So why, what's the value of nature and why are we doing this? We're doing this because we think it um, creates an identity within the development. Um, it brings people together. So it brings our customers, it brings the local community together into the spaces and the places. Um, it, it plays a fundamental role in our economy um, and we really need to start to really value that role that it plays. It feeds our families, it cleans and, and cools our cities, and it also generates financial value. And I think talking and thinking about resilience, it's going to be our best tool for resilience because a biodiversity and ensuring that we have nature within our towns, cities, um, and within our environment is going to help us adapt to those extremes in climate change. So really biodiversity is, is, is really key to ensuring that we create the resilient places of the future. So what did we do? Um, we, we developed a toolkit, um, and the toolkit is really to understand and manage biodiversity throughout the whole of the development process, um, right from the start to, to the end. And then we also use the calculator. So we use the calculator, which is based on the um, DEFRA metrics, and we use the calculator that was most developed and well recognized within the industry. So that was the Warwickshire um, County Council, um, calculator that they worked with with the Environment Bank on. And so we really used their, their toolkit and just adapted it to our business. So um, when we were looking at the, the different calculations and the habitats, we found that um, the green roofs weren't necessarily valued um, as much. So we worked um, on understanding how we can create greater habitat units on green, green roofs. We worked with Natural England and Nick to make sure that they were happy with um, the calculations and the units that we were using for that. Um, but then the whole, the whole toolkit is there really for our development teams to understand what we're trying to create through the whole process. It's the kind of the measurement bit um, that we use to ensure that we can actually demonstrate that net gain on our sites. 
But we, we also produced a design guide called the Nine Concepts because when we were starting to talk to the business about net biodiversity gain and trying to de demonstrate to them um, what we were trying to achieve, um, talking about habitat units and, and time to condition wasn't really necessarily the language that they would understand. So we worked with um, the ecology consultancy to develop a, a guidance document um, that's quite short, but it kind of sets out nine things to think about as you go through the development process and as you go through the design process to, um, to ensure that you get biodiversity in and ensure that you're thinking about all the different aspects of it. The nine concepts aren't comprehensive and you know there may be different nine concepts, but these were the ones that we were kind of working with and we thought that were most useful for us as a business. So really, as we go through that design process, we encourage our designers, our landscape architects and the ecologists to look at these concepts and think, OK, let's think about connectivity. Let's think about wider than what's, what our red line is, what, what other habitats are there around the development and how can we connect um, through. Also, how can we think about species diversity and ad adaptiveness? So what kind of different species are we gonna be putting into our sites? And how can we ensure that they adapt to the future climate change? And the reason for this is, is that um, we want to get developments to look different. We want that kind of sense of identity. And so we want to ensure that we're putting the right biodiversity in, in the right location. So now we've done it on 26 sites um, that have gone into planning. Um, so each of them have um, calculated and understand that the, the baseline of what their um, kind of biodiversity value was. And they've put in a, um, a design, a landscape design to ensure that they create and generate a net gain. And so really our approach has been to um, do it on site and all of those 26 um, planning applications are doing it on site and we really wanted to push this within the business coming back to that kind of offsetting point that is our really our last resource um, we want to make sure that if possible that we can do it on site um, to follow that mitigation hierarchy we've also done a number of other things um, around internal training um, to ensure that our, that our teams understand what we're trying to achieve. So that's both our technical teams and our, and our land and planning teams. We've done some kind of training of our supply chain. So when we launched this in 2017, we got our consultants, our ecologists and our landscape architects into a room together to start talking about it and trying to integrate them in the design process a lot more. And then also, um, we've really worked in partnership with a lot of people to deliver this. Um, the Wildlife Trust, Natural England, um, and others have really informed our approach um, because we are not the experts. Um, we are just there. We want to understand how we can really get this approach into our business and into our developments. So now onto the case studies. So I'm going to talk to you about three case studies. Um, and, and first of all, Kidbrook Village. Um, and Kidbrook Village is a, is a case study that's often quite spoken about. And this is the only case study where we can actually demonstrate that we've got a net biodiversity gain on site now. All of the others are still in planning. Um, but so Kidbrook Village started in 2009. So it's, it's been going for 10 years. 
It's a 25-year regeneration project, um, and it used to be the former Ferrier Estate. Um, currently, we've built around 1,600 homes, and it's 86 acres of parkland and open space. And as you can see from the plan, um, all of the green space um, and the open space has already been built at, at Kidbook. Our approach was to um, get that into the early design stages of the development because we understand its value and the value that it brings um, to the development. But when we were designing it and thinking about it 10 years ago, it wasn't necessarily um, a landscape that we would be designing now. So we've decided to go back and baseline that um, that space and understand what its current biodiversity value is now. And we've been working with the London Wildlife Trust to create a net gain on that site. So the London Wildlife Trust are working with us to um, put new habitats into that open space and really to make it, um, uh, you know, ensure that it has a net gain. So this is what um, we've done one part of the park, and this is what the park used to look like on the right-hand side. Um, someone described it as a golf course, which I always think is quite a good example. You know, its, it's biodiverse value is very low, um, and it's kind of a typical um, kind of landscape that we would be building into our developments. But then, the other picture, you can see that they've now replanted it um, and they have um, made it more natural and it's more of a, an enjoyable place, an enjoyable space. And you can just see how much more life there is in that space. So that's what we're talking about. That's what we're trying to get here. We're trying to re-educate and re-influence our, um, our, our business and our design teams on this is really what we're, what we're looking for and this is how you create a net gain. And really the key to this has also been about um, the engagement with the community and getting the community involved um, and making sure that they're aware and educating them about um, the difference that we're, that we're, that we're, what we're trying to deliver here and how it is different. So um, community and, and placemaking is really important to the Barclay Group. We've always tried to ensure that we create a community in our developments. And for a site like Kidbrook that is so long, it can take time. So we have been working with the London Wildlife Trust to really help us bring that community together. And they have been doing um, a scheme with us called Wild About Kidbrook, which has reached over 600 people. Um, it's from the local schools and the people in the development, but also people wider than the development to bring them together, to encourage them to get out into nature, to educate them about the space that we're creating, um, and to really get, especially young people, understanding um, nature and really valuing it in a different way. Um, and the reason that we're doing this is, is so that they understand that the landscape that we're delivering, and so the landscape changes um, a lot more because it's a natural landscape, so at the moment, it. So at the moment, it doesn't look beautifully green like that. It all is all dead. So it's also educating people about that, that, it, that you know, nature dies in, in kind of autumn and winter, and then it reflowers because, because we're conscious of our customers and making sure that they understand what we're trying to do as well. So this has been a big part of what we've been doing at Kidbrook Village. So that's about how we try to engage and ensure that the, the community are there. And just to go on to the next case study, um, Woodbury Down, 
Whippy Down really led us down this kind of path of understanding how much value nature can bring to a development and how important it is that we engage the community on that journey. So again, Kidbrook, um, Woodbury Wetlands has been going for about 10 years. It's, there's a 27 acres of nature reserve. Currently, we've built around 1,600 homes so far. And you can see from the picture that there were two um, reservoirs that were originally owned by Thames Water. And they have been working, Thames Water and the London Wildlife Trust and ourselves have been working to really understand how we can change those, those reservoirs and ensure that they're an asset for um, the local community. So one of them is a, a reservoir where you can do kind of water sports and the other one we've, we've created, well, London Wildlife Trusts have created a wetland. And so this is what it looks like now. Um, and it's, it's a great um, space um, that the community can use. David Attenborough um, opened it. So about behavior change, David Attenborough is great. If we could get him down to open all of our sites, lots more people would understand what we were trying to do. Um, but he really helped change and understand our kind of senior leadership and, 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 and explain it to them. Um, so I think that that's why there's also been so much buy-in. Um, I know it's not possible to get him in every every um, senior leadership. Luckily, he was there because of the, the link with the London Wildlife Trust. And so really what the Woodbury Wetlands um, taught us and kind of we're learning from it is, is that people really value the nature and that space that we've created there has had a lot of success. And one of the, the great successes of it is, is that the London Wildlife Trust manage it so that the community can go down and they could help with the restoration. So they sent, set up an Eventbrite um, each Saturday so the local community could sign up and they could help to create the wetlands. And so what that really taught us was is it's about making sure that we have the right delivery partners with us who can really engage with the local community to ensure that they're part of that um, development and they can see the benefits and, and ensure that they take part in kind of the restoration of it as well. And then finally, on to my final case study. So Goodman's Fields, this again hasn't created a net biodiversity gain, but I just wanted to um, explain it to you so that you could see our approach. So Goodman's Fields is a, a mixed use redevelopment in zone one in London. And we often get the question about, you know, how, you know, it's easy to do it in, a, in, in Kidbrook or Woodbury Wetlands where they're long projects with lots of open space or you know, in our outer London developments um, where there is more space, how do we do it at this scale? So what, we, what we've done here um, is, is created lots of wild um, green roofs um, and our approach has been, been to ensure that those, those roofs are really there for habitat and, and nature. So this is what the um, roofs look like. So this is, you know, in zone one of London, if you go up to the top of the roof, this is the kind of environment that you would be in. Um, and it's really to demonstrate that we can do it in lots of different environments. It's about ensuring that we get it in the early design process and we understand what we're trying to deliver. We've definitely learned some lessons from this case study. When we were um, designing, it, designing it with Fabric and um, the London Wildlife Trusts, it was um, not accessible to people. And every, every time 
um, and to our local um, to our local residents. And every time we've taken anyone up there, everyone's always said, well, why can't people be there? And that's a lesson that we've learned, that it's we need to make sure that people can access these beautiful environments. Next time, we will ensure that people can go up to these environments. But it's just a, a, a learning process that we're, that we're all going through. Um, so it was never it was always designed to be a haven for habitats, so people weren't allowed there. Sorry, that is it. <laughs> it's actually um, time for your coffee break, but I am going to take uh, a couple of questions. So, are there any? Yes, one here, and is there any other one? We'll take it at the same time. Oh, there's three. Okay, you'll take your three, and then. Hopefully, two of them will be the same question. <laughs> um, yeah, re really exciting to see this stuff getting put into practice. Um, I think you, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but I was just interested um, to hear about your plans for sort of any post-occupancy evaluation to sort of assess and and then learn for the, the sort of future projects. Don't answer that. And then, well, I answer it afterwards. But just... <laughs> there's one here, two, and then there's one. Oh, you've got a mic already. Okay. Hi, thank you. I'm Matthew Evans from GLHAN. Um, we're dealing with planning, communication, and consultation. So, particularly interested in what you were saying around. Um, I think we're at least two of them. The kind of the extent of community involvement that you have now. Now it's all kind of built or being developed. Um, did that come out of a sort of desire from people during the pre-planning consultation stage, saying they really wanted to be involved long term, or was that a kind of what made you? That, that's more than I've seen with a lot of development schemes. I was wondering what what was the rationale for that? Okay, and finally. Um, I get if you are renting it out, but what happens if you're a developer that's building it and selling it? Does it just make properties more unaffordable? Okay, good. And um, quickly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, to the, the the point about kind of um, let's go to that point about if we're selling it on. Um, it, it does add value to our developments, and that's why we do it. But we also are making sure we're trying to learn at the moment about making sure we put the long, right long-term management and maintenance regimes in. So that's kind of um, our stage at the moment, which kind of comes back to this point. So at the moment, only there are 26 sites that are in planning. Not many of them have been developed out. So that's what we're doing now: is trying to understand how do we get it into the landscape planning, and how do we get it into the kind of estate management and long-term um, uh, development um, agreements so that it does retain um, as what we would try to design it as. And then the question down the front around community. Um, no, I think probably community has come as a second point on this part, just because when we were doing it 10 years ago, we weren't thinking about biodiversity net gain. But the reason that we that we're doing it now is, is so I think that we try to get communities involved and people aren't so certain about the Barclay Group kind of holding an event but if we if the London Wildlife Trust hold an event they get a lot more engagement so that's what we're what we're learning but we are in our in our other developments we do try to get communities involved in the in the engagement and the and understanding what we're trying to create but until you put it in it's harder for them to see. Thank you very much. Can you say thank you? Thank you. Okay. This podcast has been brought to you by The Developer. Produced by Simon Mercer. With music by Fortet. I'm Christine Murray, and you can reach me on Twitter at, at TC Murray.